RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. When Dr Amelia Dalway decided to relocate to regional Queensland from Texas, she didn't intend for it to be permanent. The 40-bed Queensland hospital she relocated to was a far cry from the 700-bed academic hospital in the US, where she was Chief of Breast Surgery and Director of the Breast Cancer Program. But here she is, eight years later, and an Australian citizen. Now based in Harvey Bay, Dr Dalway is committed to raising funds and educating women in regional Queensland on breast cancer treatments through Restore More, a non-profit she founded in 2018. First, Chris Ashmore asks Dr Dalway why the decision to practice surgery in rural Australia nearly a decade ago. I was offered an opportunity to work in Australia by a former colleague from the US. We trained together in surgical oncology and he had already immigrated to Queensland. His wife was from the Gold Coast, so they came back here. And I ran into him at our college meeting in the US and I thought it was really cool that he was working in Australia. So I've worked internationally before in several countries in South America and Africa, but never something permanent and full-time. And so I thought it would be an interesting personal, but also a professional challenge to work in a different health system. Because as you know, in the U.S., we don't have a public health system. So I thought that it would be a good opportunity to just have a new surgical challenge in my career. Well, it's certainly different. Yes, it is different. (laughs) Now, (laughs) as a specialist international medical graduate, how did you find that transition to working in rural Queensland? Well, I have experience working in regional rural areas already in the United States. I actually had lived and worked as a surgeon in Hawaii on the island of Kauai, which is very similar to the similar challenges that you would find in rural Queensland in the sense that there's limited resources and you do have to sometimes alter your practice style in terms of what's available in transferring patients and so forth. But what I did anticipate that I experienced working here is that you have SIMG, you're more professionally isolated. You don't have the professional network since you didn't train here. So that's something that you have to build over time. And so that was a little bit different, something that I hadn't anticipated. You've identified the need to educate regional women regarding breast cancer treatment options, especially breast reconstruction after mastectomy. How did this come about and what inroads have there been made with educating regional women? Well, I think that regional services around breast cancer have improved even in the time that I've been here, in the eight years that I've been in Australia. But now there's several treatment options for breast cancer patients and the treatment decisions are a shared process with patients. So patients don't always know what they don't know. And I've learned from patients who were treated with mastectomies in regional areas, many of them were not aware that reconstruction was an option for them. And sometimes it's not even offered. And how we do mastectomies, if a patient's going to have a reconstruction, whether it be immediate or delayed, varies because there's different approaches to mastectomies. So I think it was frustrating to see patients who would have had a desire to have reconstruction not offered that. And then the wait lists are quite long, at least in Queensland. The wait list can be quite long in the public system. And in the private system, there's quite an expense to having reconstructive surgery. So I developed Restore More, one, to educate patients that this is an option, 
but also to raise funds for patients that had been on the waiting list for an extended period of time to access it through a surgeon of their choice privately in a hospital that would offer those services. However, in doing that over time, we realized how expensive reconstructive surgery is. And what if we didn't have to do as much reconstructive surgery because we preserve more breasts because the survival is the same? And if you have more breast screening and you're identifying breast cancers at early stages that are quite small, then you can preserve the breast and still have the same survival advantage. And also we're using more neoadjuvant chemotherapy and downstaging patients, and we're also doing more oncoplastic techniques. So if we can preserve more breasts, then you avoid the need of having to do the reconstruction in the first place. So there's a lot of fear around breast cancer. So by educating patients and increasing health literacy, then we're able to have patients make more informed decisions for themselves as opposed to fear-based decisions. And we're hoping to increase breast preservation rates as a result of health literacy. So we do go out to, well, pre-COVID, okay, we, we used to go out to some very remote areas like Springshire out to Long Reach Alpha and places like that. And sometimes we'd partner with the Country Women's Association and we would just have community education around breast cancer treatment options. You didn't have to have breast cancer to attend. It was just an informational thing, general information about breast cancer, just out of interest. And a lot of people would attend and found it very interesting. And so it was just a matter of letting people know they have options. And then if they did have a diagnosis or they knew someone with a diagnosis, then they would know that they should ask questions and they should gather more information. There's a lot of information out there, but it's sometimes difficult to navigate. That's it. Restore more. Is that focused on Queensland or is it across the whole country? Technically, it's a national nonprofit, but we have focused on Queensland because our reconstruction rates in the past have been lower. And and I do know that the wait lists are quite high. But what we do is when we have a fundraising event in a particular area, then those funds usually stay in that region. So for example, when we did fundraising event in Gladstone, we helped patients in the Banana Shire Gladstone, Rockhampton area with access to reconstruction. And we just had a fundraiser last year in Harvey Bay. And we're now providing funds for women in the Wide Bay region that want to have access. So we raised a little over $52,000 in one night. And so we usually exhaust all those funds in that year. And then we start over with fundraising for the next year. So all of the directors, all of the volunteers, people who organize or go out to help with some of these initiatives, none of us are paid. People are just passionate about it. And then we just fundraise from scratch. And whatever we raise, that's what we have access to. And just a little bit of money has to go to our accountant that has to do our yearly audits with the ATO. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. (laughs) You started it in, or you founded the nonprofit in 2018. Are you seeing tangible results in terms of educating women? I think patients in general are becoming a little more savvy in this day and age. And there is a lot of information through BCNA, Breast Surge ANZ. So there is information online. But I think sometimes patients, when they're the more remote they are and the more distance they have, even though they have internet access and so forth, I think to have people come out to your community face to face and even talking to the GPs and so forth, if they were to have a diagnosis of breast cancer, I think they would be like, oh, I remember there was a talk. They may not remember the specifics of it, but they can remember that, one, there are a lot of treatment options and it's their choice. So our campaign is a woman's right to choose. So it's about partnering with your doctor and getting that information and making sure that you have access to treatments 
appropriate for you regardless of geographic location. So I do think we're seeing results, but the organization is very young and we've pretty much been in COVID for about three years. So we weren't able to go out and give those type of face-to-face lectures and we didn't set it up to do it through Zoom or any other IT platform. So we're hoping to resume that, but we have done some fundraising events and communities and those communities are aware of what we can offer. What's the vision for the organization and what are some prominent activities you've worked on? Initially, it was really just about the frustration around breast reconstruction and making sure patients had financial access. But I think we've pivoted away from that. We still do provide financial assistance. However, it's more about health literacy. It's about making sure that women understand that they have a right to choose and they don't have a choice in having breast cancer, but they do have a choice in how they respond because they're the ones that have to go through the treatments, the surgeons, the medical oncologists, radiation oncologists. We don't live with the results of the actual treatments or the side effects. So it's really about health literacy at this point. And some of the activities we've done, we even had an international outreach in Nepal where we provided breast prosthetics. We partnered with Amina that makes mastectomy bras and prosthetics. So they donated quite a bit and we took it over to Nepal. One of the interesting things was we worked out of a large hospital and we set up a screening clinic there, but then we did a community outreach in a village. We were talking to the women about self-breast exams and what to look for. And they thought that it was very strange that you go and look for something that may not be there. So their mindset about screening in this particular location in Nepal, why go look for something that may not be there? And if you don't have any symptoms, why would you? So it's interesting because we have Nepalese that come to Australia to live. You have people from all over the world coming to live, but they bring their culture, their worldview with them. And that presents another challenge in terms of the health system, because in Western society, we have screening programs for cancer. We try to do early detection, prevention, and so forth. But you can't necessarily do that with everyone if there's no health literacy and you have to kind of meet people where they're at and explain and educate them as to the rationale behind that. So you have to take their culture into account. And we actually have an increase in Nepalese immigrating to Australia. I just did some research and found that out. But it made me start to think that because we're treating a multicultural population that sometimes our approaches can't always be a Western approach. We can't approach everyone the same. Absolutely. And so diversity and inclusivity, that's so important in the surgical workforce. Yeah, I think that studies have shown that when you have a medical or a healthcare workforce that mirrors the community that they're working in, that you have better health outcomes. And it's because you're starting to remove some of those cognitive, cultural, and language barriers that we know contribute to health inequity and health disparities. So because we have, Australia has been a very successful developed country in having a multicultural population, but it's equally important to have a multicultural workforce. And so that's why diversity and inclusion are very important. But I do always say it shouldn't be diversity and inclusion. It should be inclusion and diversity. Because if you're not inclusive, you can't retain that diversity. So if you don't treat the 1% and include them 100%, then you're not going to increase it to 40 or 50 or 60%. So first work on inclusivity and making people feel welcome and belonging. And then the diversity, the numbers increase, whether it be gender, ethnicity, aboriginality, or whatever you're trying to increase. And how are we faring in that regard, Amelia? Are we getting more inclusive, more diverse, do you think? I think that we're gaining an awareness. Sometimes 
It's not always deliberate. It's unconscious for many when they're not being inclusive. If you're part of the majority or the privileged, I would say, sometimes it's not evident to you. It's not, you'd have a lack of awareness about it. But I think that's improving. And I think that we're raising awareness about inclusivity in all aspects of society. So I think it's good that we have those conversations and I think that it's improving, definitely. But do we have a ways to go? Yeah, we're not there yet. Now, to wrap up, Amelia, what's next for you in your surgical career? Well, I believe as a surgeon, you should always continue learning and training. So right now, I'm moving more into surgical leadership. So I've taken on a role of clinical director of surgery at QE2, which is a new role for me. But I'm also involved with my state committee at RACS for Queensland, the state secretary. So I have some leadership positions there. I'm also involved with the AMA in some leadership positions on the state and federal level. Working on advocacy for surgeons as well as well-being is of interest to me as well, professional well-being for professional longevity. So those are some of the things I'm working on right now, but I don't have any specific goals other than some leadership goals, just contributing to the profession as much as possible for as long as possible. When I stop challenging myself or not being interested in learning new techniques or learning, then it'll be time to set down the scalpel. Dr. Amelia Dalway. RAC's Post-Op Podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. You can reach the Bongiorno National Network on plus 613 9863 3111.